You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. It's 7 p.m. Pacific Time and 10 p.m. Eastern Time, which means... It's that time. It's time for Mission Law Live. Today is Memorial Day in the United States. So thank you to everyone who is joining us at the end of your long weekend. And thank you to all who have served and made the ultimate sacrifice in defense of the United States. And that saying, welcome back, Heather Barker. How are you, Heather? I'm good. Thank you. And following along with that, yes, um, I have a lot of... um, family members that have served and one that was lost, my great uncle Paul. And so I always think of him um, today and everyone out there who made that ultimate sacrifice. Um, And what a week to have an episode like we do. Um, It's just amazing that it fell kind of, I don't know that it was meant to, to fall at the same time here, but it was kind of nice that we had an episode with a remembrance day, very similar to our Memorial Day. I just want to apologize to all the listeners out there at the very beginning. I'm, um, I don't know if you'll be able to see it, but every once in a while in my background, you're probably going to see a pretty extreme flash or two. I am like in the middle of, of like a severe thunderstorm here in Gainesville, Florida. So it's going to be pretty spotty with uh, nothing like it's anything new with my internet, but just please bear with me as we work through this. Uh, Heather, how can all of our listeners get in touch with us during the course of the show? Okay, well, this is the first time I've ever done this, and I don't know where to find it. <laughs> it's right. It's right in the green text. <laughs> okay, so let me let me go back because I'm sorry, I'm still learning the scripts. Um, so tonight, you can click on the Zoom link. Zoom link. Yep. Or give us a ring by using the one tap from your smartphone or call us at 669-900-6833 and enter the meeting code and password you see in the show notes. Um, the episode that we're talking about tonight, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, episode four, Memento Mori. So you got it. No, no problem. Not at it. all. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as always, uh, thank you for that, Heather. As always, as we're waiting for our our wonderful chat to uh, call in and line up in the Earl Green Room, let's see who's with us tonight. And again, thank you for being with us on your long weekend. I'm going to go scroll all the way up. Matthew Corey. Hi, Dave Taylor. Go Rangers. I'm only repeating what you're saying because I'm pretty sure that I'm not a Rangers fan per se, but I'm glad you are. Uh, John Arminio, good to have you with us. Jane, nice to see you. Brian. And uh, Paul Harveth. So uh, glad that you're all here. I'm sure that we're going to have more uh, listeners and callers and joining us sometime soon. But as we uh, always do at the very beginning of the episode, we're going to let you know how hard at work that we've been here at Mission Log for all of you. Because this week, well, it's kind of weird I say that because technically on June 2nd, Mission Log is taking the week off. So we don't have a new show dropping on June 2nd, not following up the the great heroes and demons of which we are extremely proud of because it's been a lot of chatter about that episode. But yes, John and I are going to be taking this Thursday off June 2nd, no new show, but in the interim, you can catch some great stuff over at youtube.com slash Roddenberry Entertainment. You can watch the latest Mission Log, the Orville the interview with Seth MacFarlane that dropped last week. And this Wednesday, I believe it's this Wednesday, June 2nd, we have an interview. Mike and Jessica interviewed executive, not executive, I'm giving him a raise, co-producer and editor Tom Constantino. So you're going to be watching it the day before it launches on June 2nd. So if you haven't subscribed to Hulu and you're an Orville fan, probably going to want to subscribe to Hulu. All right. So also, and this is very fun and very exciting. The Star Trek Prodigy podcast drought is a little bit over because we are going to release Midnight Tonight on both your podcast platform of choice and on YouTube exclusively on the Roddenberry channel, our newest interview with Aaron Waltke the executive producer and writer of one of the more popular episodes in Prodigy that was Kobayashi. So he's going to talk about his influence as writer of that episode, some of the creative choices that he made, and what the fans can expect from Prodigy coming soon. So you're going to want to watch that and learn a little bit more about him. Fascinating, fascinating uh, 
perspective on Star Trek, his involvement with troll hunters, the Hagemans, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, please subscribe. Please hit the notification button so you know about those shows. And you can also find all of our shows, Mission Log Prodigy, Mission Log The Orville, and Mission Log Engage, again, at youtube.com slash Roddenberry Entertainment. Make sure you stay in touch with us with all of our podcasts at podcasts.roddenberry.com. And that's what we have for you dropping this week. All right, that's a mouthful. Uh, I'm going to take a deep breath because let me ask you something, Heather, before I jump into the recap, how plot heavy are these episodes? I mean, these episodes are super dense, plot heavy shows, aren't they? They really are. It is a challenge to write small synopsis of these episodes. Um, So I I see what you have written and uh, I I wish you good luck. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I will accept that luck. And here we go. Here's the recap of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, season one, episode four, Memento Mori. It is Starfleet Remembrance Day. The USS Enterprise is en route to deliver an atmospheric processor upgrade to a Federation colony on Finibus Three. Most of the crew are wearing special pins to honor those who have given their lives in service of Starfleet. Most that is except for La'an Nuni and Singh, who bluntly points out to Una that the past is the past and that she isn't emotionally broken just because she's not outwardly mourning. Meanwhile, Chief Engineer Hammer is in charge of Cadet Uhura for her recent training rotation and demands greatness from her. With a dazzling display of knowledge about the atmospheric processor, she describes to Hammer that engineering is akin to linguistics, as both require specialized communication skills. Upon beaming onto the colony, the away team is horrified to discover that only burnt-out husks of buildings are all that remain, along with blood trails that lead to nowhere. Enterprise is hailed soon after by Professor Tandy aboard a colony transport with only a handful of colonists who ma- managed to survive the massacre on the planet. Unable to beam the colonists directly to Enterprise due to the transport's magnetic shielding, a boarding tube is connected to the transport to get the survivors safely on board. However, while triaging the colonists, one little girl cries out to on that the monsters are coming. Monsters that made a very specific clacking noise, and one that La'an knows all too well. It is the Gorn. Before shields are raised, an alien vessel attacks while Enterprise is still tethered to the transport. It is obliterated while Una barely manages to get La'an to safety in time, but suffers severe injuries in the process. Unla orders La'an to the bridge to update Pike on what she knows about their attackers. As La'an reaches the bridge, Pike is bombarded by incoming reports from all decks. Warp drive is offline. There's barely enough power for Enterprise to maneuver safely and withdraw, as Long suggests. The main cargo bay where Hammer and Uhura were monitoring the colony's atmospheric processor is reported to have taken a direct hit. Hammer's hands are badly injured, and it is up to Uhura to prevent the processor from going critical and destroying the Enterprise. Pike and his command staff triage their situation, and it is dire. They have only one usable photon torpedo left. Matter synthesizers and sickbay are offline, meaning their supply chain is on a clock while time is running out fast. Speaking of sickbay, Una collapses as soon as she enters. Her wounds are bleeding out badly, and Mabenga puts Chapel's archaeological medical training to the test. In other words, sewing. Pike tries to stop La'an's downward spile as despair is overwhelming her. Pike orders her and all the command staff to hold on to hope, to get creative, and to work t- together. Spock creatively modifies navigation into a radar to track the Gorn pursuit ship in order enough for Ortegas to maneuver Enterprise into position and drop their last photon torpedo above the Gorn, letting gravity do the rest. And in a fireball, the Gorn ship is destroyed. But now Spock's radar shows two minor and one massive Gorn ship entering sensor range. The Gorn purposefully sacrifice their own ship to find Enterprise. Like La'an said earlier, they are relentless. The Enterprise is outgunned. Sick Bay is out of supplies. Una is bleeding to death. Hammer's hands are crippled. The atmospheric processor is near critical. No warp drive. Main power is failing. The end seems inevitable, but not to Captain Pike. He orders the Enterprise further into the gravity well of the dwarf star, of the dwarf star while Spock evacuates as many crewmen from outlying decks to the safety behind the main bulkheads, but not all make it back to safety in time. Throughout the ship, the crew hears the walls of the Enterprise creak and buckle, but Pike knows that she'll hold. Shortly after, one of the Gorn ships is crushed by the increased gravity because they can't help but relentlessly chase their prey. Pike's plan is working. Back in sickbay, Mabenga Chapel and Chapel need to remove one last fragment of shrapnel to finish closing Una's wounds. However, another crewman is dying on the biobed next to her. There's only enough plasma to save one. Una orders Mabenga to save the other crewman. Spock and La'an take a shuttlecraft, the Galileo, to gather data on the black hole that is sucking the brown dwarf Enterprise is hiding in. 
They observe the Gorn ships communicating to each other using strobing lights. La'an vaguely remembers this, and Spock mind melds with her to discover crucial details about Gorn language. In doing so, he unlocks deeply buried memories of La'an and her brother Manu, whose journal held the translation key to the Gorn language. The mind meld is also a two-way street, and La'an observes something deep, a regret Spock has buried about his sister. Armed with what they need, Spock and La'an use their shuttle's phasers to trick the Gorn destroyer into obliterating the smaller ship that was supposedly boarded and overrun by human invaders. Back in the cargo bay, no matter their efforts, Hemmer and Uhura are unable to repair the atmospheric processor, and the only way to save Enterprise is to vent the entire bay into space. Pike, never giving up on the Enterprise's ability to survive the gravity well and stay the course, has one last tactical trick up his sleeve, which Ortega dubs as the Pike Maneuver. Pike has Ortega surf the gravitational waves of the black hole, which slingshots the Enterprise around it so quickly, the Enterprise appears in two places at the same time. As that happens, Hemmer and Uhura, who are encased in EV suits and lashed to the cargo bay floors, vent the atmospheric processor into space, and as it goes critical, destroys the Gorn ship, allowing the Enterprise to escape. Battered and beaten, the Enterprise begins the process of picking up the pieces. Mabanga is tethered to Una via IV tube, and La'an now wears her memento mori of the USS Puget Sound to honor her brother Maru, who sacrificed himself so she would survive. The end. Fantastic and another deep job. breath. <laughs> great. No, uh, great I was on the edge of my seat just listening to you talk about it because, yeah, it was. And I've heard so many fans talk about this episode as being a movie. And for me, like I was definitely engrossed in this entire episode, although, to be fair, I've been very engrossed in all of them. Mm. Uh but the, the stakes were a little higher in this one. And I definitely, definitely was on the edge of my seat. So it sounds like you were as well as you take a sip. <laughs> yes. You know, when, so as we do, you know, with mission log and, and the recaps and, and trying to get as much information as we can of these episodes, you know, with our rewatches, I think that every single time, every success, successive watch, I was getting closer and closer and closer, like leaning into my TV because I really wanted to absorb like everything yeah. that was happening. Uh, there were so many interesting shifts in pacing. There were so many interesting character developments, like putting characters together that probably would never work with each other or maybe never will work with each other again. Who knows? I, I think that's the one, th like the fun thing about having Uhura like as this cadet rotation um, dynamic in the ship, because wherever mm -hmm. she goes, we go and we learn yeah. something new. So communications, obviously, will, she'll end up there. But for one, engineering for another, security maybe with La'an for another. Yeah. So, yeah. and we saw her down um, on the um, on the comet on Mahanit in that rotation. So it's it's interesting uh, being able to kind of uh, I guess see the the whole uh, environment change through the her her eyes. You know, her mm -hmm. experience. Um, a couple things that I wanted to get to before we get to our first caller, I just wanted to uh, kind of decompress um, some of the, you know, just the drama of this episode and kind of get to what really like rose to the top for us when it comes to things like, this is what I took away. These are the mom uh, these are these memorable moments. These are the morals, meanings, and messages. So for you, Heather, like if you had to tell somebody about this, what really affected you? What really rose to the, the surface of this? What would you tell them? Well, for me, um, because I'm a person who has complex PTSD, uh, La'an and Christina Chong's performance um, having PTSD really stood out to me the most. Um, I love that this episode was lawn centric for the most part. I mean, we still got a great um, combination of the entire crew, but we definitely learned more about her exact experience, meeting her brother during the mind meld. Mm -hmm. um, I just thought that the writing around her PTSD was really well done because you do have memory loss and this wasn't showing any certain kind of therapy. Um, you know, a mind meld is not necessarily therapy of any sort, but um, having her go back and just kind of reflect on these exact moments and then doing that mind meld, which is, can be similar to, to going back um I did a certain kind of therapy where you have to go back and sit in those very traumatic moments and try to remember as much as you can. And when you do that, um, sometimes you have these repressed memories that do pop up. And so 
for me, I just thought that that was so well done. And it made me feel good about the series as a whole, because the PTSD subject is something that I'm very curious to see what will happen throughout the season, how they um, portray it, even with Pike. And I thought that we actually saw not the PTSD, but at least for Pike um, showing remorse and showing a lot of emotion attached to his crew when, when they passed away, when he wasn't sure if Uhura and Hammer were at work had made it. Uh, I just really, really liked that in this episode. It was really strong for me. And I appreciated that it felt like they knew what they were doing. You know, uh, looking at the morals and meanings and, and messages as we do, you know, here in mission log, uh, one of the things that I think just really stood out to me most the, is this, that the adage of attitude is everything, what you put out, there, the energy that you put out there is what you receive in return. And of, of course, there was that interchange between Pike and Laon and Laon's trauma, you know, projected through her words, you know, the despair, again, just the, the, the trauma that, that she experienced at the hands of the Gorn, losing her brother. And all of that is being projected outwardly with her thoughts and with her um, comments, you know, in, mm-hmm. in that situation. And I love how, how Pike, he doesn't, no, he doesn't berate her and he doesn't dress her down for that. He's like, we need everybody to rise above the terror that we're feeling right now and be inspired by being able to get ourselves out of it. The only people that we can trust and depend on right now is us. That's it. Right. So I think that, I think that Pike not giving into the despair of his future is helping him refocus that into other members of his crew. And I do think that, um, there's been conversations about Spock and why Spock's relationship with Pike is so different to the point of his own court martial than it is to say Kirk. And I think that there are moments like this when he watches Pike with these just moments of great inspiration and hope where Spock learns something completely different than what he learned from Kirk. And there's a relationship there that is unspoken, especially when we Mm -hmm. get to the menagerie. It's just, it's their relationship. It yeah. doesn't have to be defined and it doesn't have to be explained. It's between them and what Spock and Pike have experienced together. And I think that's going to be the same with Una, with La'an, with Uhura, you mm-hmm. know, with Hemmer, with everyone in his command staff. So I really do like seeing these individual um, moments that are happening, that are creating these great relationships between all the crewmen or crew members and and Pike. Uh, but you know, that's, that's, that's kind of like what I took away from it. And I'm glad that you were able to take away uh, something that was important to you, but let's see what our listeners have to say and what was important to them. So first up on deck, we have Chris Bauer and I don't think I didn't notice you taking a sip from a Glen Cairn glass. Good, sir. What are we having tonight? Uh, we are having, I've mentioned this on the live show before, but the, uh, the brown sugar bourbon that I posted oh. about on the discord. That's so right. Got, you got, got like. 10 yeah. gallons oh of that stuff, right? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we well, had a little bit of that tonight. Um, Slanja, enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. But no, I really like this. Um, I like La'an's Gorn backstory much more than I like her, like, con baggage. And so going down this avenue is nice. I think sort of, like, in the vein of morals meaning messages, there's this idea of not that you... Not that you have to be okay with loss, but that loss is maybe like a step and you have to sort of work through it. And, you know, that she, that Lon sort of goes through this process of like coming to terms with it, you know, putting on the pin at the end. And like she can still mourn her brother, but she does have to sort of move on beyond that initial step. Um, you also sort of see that with Pike and that poor nameless guy who gets vented out the airlock. Um, and it's like you don't you, you can mourn that guy, but you made the right call, right? Yeah. You, you for, what did Spock say? For the same reason you because you value life. I thought because that was you value really, life. Yeah, that was a really good moment. I really like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I think that uh these are these are kind of like the perils that every captain is going to face. And uh I know that we're not jumping the timeline per se, but you know, dealing with say Archer, you know, Archer was the most optimistic, was the bright eyed, the bushiest tailed captain that ever went out for his very first mission. And uh I I saw bits and pieces of certain episodes, you know, in the the pantheon of Star Trek's uh franchise. You know, I saw obviously Boundless of Terror. I saw a little bit of Silent Enemy from Enterprise, where you're just dealing with an enemy that just wants to destroy you. 
period. And that's what kind of opened up Archer's eyes to that. And I don't think that Pike is as naive or as optimistic or as wide-eyed as Archer was. But, you know, in that course of his experience, Archer's like, there are just some people out there, or there are just some alien races out there that just don't like us. You know, and and maybe that's the case now with the Gorn. They you can't negotiate with them, you know, you, you can't communicate with them. They're just there because they do what they do. Now, here's the interesting thing. We said that about the crystalline entity at one point in time, and then Picard equated that, well, and uh, a whale is destroying or killing all of these creatures. They're feeding, and the crystalline entity is feeding. Do we do we share that same attitude with what the Gorn is doing? Or are they just protecting their space? Do we do we know what the Gorn space is? Do like do we know what their borders are? I mean, that's one question. Mm-hmm. But also, I would say when I was watching it, I was kind of hoping they would go down that more balance of terror, you know, sympathize with your enemy type of thing. And maybe they just want a sort of you know big bad villain for the show, and we're going to pick the Gorn, which is fine. But yeah, I was kind of hoping they would go more towards. Well, maybe they're not entirely evil. Obviously, they are massacring people, which should be taken into account. But yeah, I was hoping for a little more, a little more nuance than maybe we got. So here's something, uh, Heather. I wanted to ask you this, and and Chris, uh, feel free to, to to chime in here. But there were seven crew member uh, crewmen that died on this mission. There are also seven cadets that Pike saved. Are we seeing some type of karmic balance in the equation? with something like this is something is, did that even like come to your attention when you were watching this? Cause when I was doing my notes, I'm like, there's something here. I'm not sure what it, Oh my God. I can't believe I didn't see that. It's the balance of things, right? Seven that he lost versus seven that he saved. I feel like it's just a coincidence, but I hope I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. It, like could if, be. I, it, it would be neat. Um, or I don't know, needs the right word to say there. Um, it didn't even occur to me at all. Uh, I was too engrossed in, in the moment and, and Pike, uh, that I didn't think about it. I don't know, Chris, what about you? I mean, I like from a storytelling, like writing perspective, I do like that idea in an in-universe, I don't know how much like the Star Trek universe believes in like karma and the balancing of the scales. But just as like a narrative device, I think that's really clever if we ever revisited that. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. I didn't catch that. Nice one. Well, it's I, I actually give all the credit to being over-caffeinated when I do my notes. <laughs> uh, it, it allows me to see things no one else can see. If you can get that reference, PM me, and I'll buy you a drink next time I see you at Star Trek uh, Converse, uh, or a uh, convention out there sometime. So, um, Uhura and Hammer. Interesting relationship building there. What did you think? I mean, it's fun. Like you guys were saying, seeing Uhura hang out with everybody is nice. I like that we're getting more of Hammer because um, he didn't have a whole lot in the first three. And just so to learn a little bit more about him and sort of his interpretation of pacifism mm-hmm. and sort of the active defending of ideals and stuff, I thought that was really cool. But yeah, um, Hammer, he seems fun. He's, he's a little snarky, a little embittered, but in a good way. I like him. What do you Very think much. of uh, them walking up and down the hallway and Uhura kind of like um, rising to his challenge? That was great. Yeah, right? Loved it. That was great. Can I, I have to ask one question, though. Do we really think that in the future there's going to be a cooling unit with a giant snowflake on it? Oh my God, the snowflake so. emoji. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I just, it was so distracting, but it just, I, I, it was so funny. Sorry to point it out, but I was just like, that's interesting. That, that was an interesting choice. Uh, I would Our, love to know more about that choice. So I'm going to throw this out there to the chat because I know out there you probably have incredibly talented graphic designers, but you could have something with like cool on the front flipping on the back with a giant snowflake emoji and just say cooler. You're welcome. Have fun with that. Except for you, Alan, you're not allowed to have fun with that. Um, one last thing, uh, any last uh, thoughts before we let you go, Chris, cause we're going to go right into the ad break right after you. Uh, yeah. Just sort of speculation on future episodes. You brought up the idea of Uhura hanging out with everyone. 
I really want the Chapel episode to now be an Uhura Chapel episode. I want her med rotation to be with Chapel. Is that's all I want? Yeah. Yes. I yes. I I really liked the whole going back and doing sutures because it was so like Bones hated doing that. Hated doing it because he hated old medicine. They call it like ancient medical. What are they called? Archaeological. Archaeological medicine. Right. Right. When I heard Mamenga say that, it, it just basically flashed me, you know, a few, a decade or so forward when, when Bones, you know, when he was up, uh, you know, he was hopped up on, uh, uh, what, it wasn't quadrazine, it might have been quadrazine, uh, but he was saying that, you know, in the future, you know, people were stitched together and sewn, you know, at, like garments, you know, he was like so angry at old medicine and here Mabenga's like, hey, you know how to sew people up, don't you? I'm like, all right, you know, sutures still exist in the 23rd century. I thought that was kind of neat. Um, hey, Chris, great uh, having you back on board. Uh, save me some of that. I know you're in short supply of the bourbon, so... You know, I'm maybe. sure we can get you a, a little taster. We can make I it. Happen. I like bourbon too. All right. Yeah. Save uh, some for Heather too. If you come to Vegas, we'll yes, make it happen. I'll be there. All right. There we go. There we go. Bourbon Mori. That's the, what we're going to do it. You know, <laughs> Hey, we'll get to you in a second. Paul, hold on a second. Right after the ad break, just chill, chill your gorn. All right. That's nah, not a euphemism. Just chill your gorn. All right. Thanks, Chris, man. Uh, catch you later. Thanks for calling in. Um, as we do here on Mission Log Live, you know, we're going to go right into our shameless plug because so many people have gotten value from our shameless plug, and that is Patreon. So if you're new to the show, we like talking about Patreon because we like growing our community. And if you join or subscribe to Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, you get to join our Discord server where we have a fantastic group of people that have created this incredible and supportive community where it kind of started out as a way for us to get through COVID because we were all separated from each other. There were no conventions. There were no gatherings. There was nothing except for the technology that we had at our disposal. And that grew into this incredible community of so many fans that have turned into personal friends. And we keep talking about certain uh, different topics like food, like Star Trek, of course, like Star Trek, Star Wars, big right now, the Orville, Um, all different types of science fiction, books, audiobooks, music, you name it. We even have a completely separate channel for our pets called Tribulation. So if you want to like post pictures of your pets, join us and you can do that. We also have exclusive content uh, that is accessible for members only, um, extra interview material, uh, early releases. So please go to patreon.com slash mission log. And then you can check us out there. You can figure out which tier you would like to support us with. And then you can join us on Discord uh, once you sub up. So we hope you do. And we hope to see you there. Okay. Okay, Paul. There's the Gorn. Let's see your Gorn. I'm surprised. I mean, I don't have any, I don't have any Gorn merchants. I, I really got a Gorn. Paul Hello, really likes everybody. He, Paul really <laughs> likes green aliens like on his screen. He's got the Gorn. He's got Tendi. Can you hear me? Ah, yeah, there he is. Yes. The Gorn. Yeah. So the Gorn, the Gorn um, is a, a hallmark ornament and i wonder if they're going to rethink this ad campaign here <laughs> based on what we've seen <laughs> you um, know i know it's like well you make a gorn and make it look cute and all of a sudden they're really really bad guys heather i want to say hello and Hi. it's uh, great to see a, a a new face and i love your eyewear it's oh, awesome thank you thank you so it's much just awesome the asymmetry on the ends is really cool thank um you. Yeah, so Norman, this this was the revelation of the Gorn, right? Um, I'm I'm thinking that the Gorn were actually in a Twilight Zone episode um, that was aired well before well before Star Trek. Um, hmm. They had a the the humans were being ushered off to another planet, and they the aliens offered them a book, and the book was called To Serve Man. And then oh, once right. they yeah they translated it, and it was a cookbook. Little did we know that it was probably the Gorn, right? Exactly. I, I'm glad you brought that up. That's so funny because we have a lot of Twilight Zone fans, you know, in chat, in Discord. Um, but you're, how well versed are you in, would you say, in the original series? You know, what's your expertise level? You know, above average? I've watched them all at least 30 times. I can't remember Jack. I don't know the names of them, but if you tell me what the episode was, I know which one it was. So. Well, you know the one with the Gorn. Oh, Yeah. 
the, right. the fake punch to the back, right? Right. And the, you know, the star from rock from on high, you know, getting bouncing off the Gorn's chest. I mean, we all know that the microphone eyes, it's classic. It's a classic episode for many reasons. It's withstood the test of time. It's been parodied like 10 times over by Shatner and the Gorn itself, you know, playing video games. But I have to ask, you know, I'll ask you, Heather and chat. How do episodes like this fit into TOS canon? Now, I don't want to use canon as this, the canon word. I'm just asking it to see if we can get some organic discussion about what this really means. So let me, uh, let me put this into context. Are the original series fans, and I will put myself into that category, are the original series fans clinging on too hard to some of the smaller details like, how do we know about the Gorn if we didn't know about this episode? And trying to massage those into these pre-existing timelines like Arena to give characters more flexibility, give the writers more flexibility, because there's a specific line in Arena where Kirk says, identification on attacking vessel. And Sulu says, no, sir, doesn't correspond with any configuration we're familiar with. You just got data on three ships, four ships that were attacking you. And yeah, that can be explained away. Well, the Gorn doesn't have to have their ships look, look like the entire fleet. They don't have to be all synonymous. But at the same time, though, is this something that original series fans just have to start embracing as if we don't make massages in the stories now in Strange New Worlds, then is that going to like lock down our creativity into a box and just be inside this canonical rectangular shaped structure for all time? Or are we going to embrace, I want to see a good story no matter what, or somewhere in the middle? Heather, you go first. Oh, I'll go first. <laughs> oh, nice okay. job, Paul. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Um, well, let's see. I think it's somewhere in the middle. Um, and I say that because I do think that you can only do so much when you are pegged into a box. Um, there, there needs to be some room to explore things a bit. I'm trying to think... Where do, where do we go off? Like, what is too hard to reconcile? Is it simply that statement in TOS? Like, I've, I've seen different fans during this past week explain it in so many different ways and just try to make their own headcanon and twist things around and are fine with it. I've been lucky not to come across anyone that just, ah. Um, but I, I, I think that, for Star Trek to survive, we have to have a little bit of leeway, but not so much that it's completely offensive, <laughs> if that makes sense. I'm just happy that they remembered who the Gorn were. And uh, now, is, is the Gorn are on Lower Decks periodically too, right? And, that I don't remember. Yeah, yeah they was, went to the Gorn wedding. Yeah, so there's... Um, you know, there's a little bit of canon to be done and undone, but it just makes for more interesting stories and particularly at a bar with some of that whiskey that um, Chris had, you know, it's, if, if we, if we make more of this than just, okay, they showed up, Kirk fought them and now we're seeing them again and somebody who has history with them. Um, Hey, I, it, it's 56 years ago. If people want to quibble about that. You know, they're probably arguing about spoilers from next spoilers about next gen too. So, you know, I, I'm I'm happy with wherever they go. This series is just dynamite. I I just it's put reinvigorated just such a, a fan sort of fanboy experience for us. I mean, it's just wow, we can't wait to watch it every week. It's exciting. Particularly um so we're we're privileged enough to have seen Air McDonald, Dr. Air McDonald, the science consultant and I tell you, the minute they start talking science, we can hear Aaron just talking. It's coming straight out of her mouth. It's like, well, you know, there's this wormhole with a dark dwarf, whatever it was. And was it a brown dwarf? And, and up thank comes, you, Michelle. <laughs> yeah, there she was. Thank God, 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 I married a good one who's got a good memory. Uh, on the ready room. There she is. There's Aaron talking about how they science this one. And um, I'm telling you that what I'm just stunned by this episode also is what they've done with a masculinity associated with Pike versus all their other ones. He is a different kind of captain. And I tell you, I have much, so much more respect for what he's done here than anything Kirk ever did with the Kobayashi Maru. He cheated. 
right? And he gets all this accolades for cheating. This guy's put on the front lines here with and leveraging all of his resources. I think he's such a great example of what humanity can be at its under stress. Um, I just can't get over the difference. I mean, that's, that's what I see. And I don't know if it's a reflection of the times, a reflection of the personalities of the actors, reflection of the writers, the variation in the writing staff. You know, Gene had all that control over those first ones and they were great and they still stand the test of time for what they are. But these new ones are exploring some very strange new worlds. You know, I'm, I'm just so excited for this series and um, I can't say enough about it. I just, you know, it's, amazing stuff the the character development with lan laan and the um, nurse chapel and mabenga and just all the way around thumbs up good stuff you know i'm i'm glad that you brought the kobayashi maru into the uh, discussion because that's pretty much how i like describe this entire episode they're like all these little mini kobayashi maru moments like what do we do here it's life or death what do we do here it's life or death what do we do here it's life or death my favorite of all of those um the examples was Una on the operating table, bleeding out. There's only one choice to be made, and she makes the choice to save somebody else. That, for me, was heroism Mm -hmm. personified. I was like, that's Starfleet. That's a hero. That's what you do. That's a leader. Like that, And she didn't even hesitate. It was just save her. I was blown away, blown away, you know, by the way they directed that. I'm gushing. But how did you guys feel about that? I I know, Heather, I know that you're a big fan of Una's. Yeah, no, I think it was great. And I think it is absolutely what she would do and what a hero would do. And I love that, you know, I've always looked up to Star Trek because, um, you know, our favorite characters usually are the really great exemplary people. I love that both Una and Pike are not just really, I don't know, like, they feel like buddies. They feel like they're people that are really easy to get to know. but like they are, they're both just responsible and responsive. And I don't know. I'm also just like really, really happy to see just really great characters. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I also love that. Um, I don't, I don't want to say this as a slight to any show because it, that's not what this comment is about, but I do love in this show, in this series that Every single crewman that we've seen so far that's a focus of the show has been bounced off of kind of like Pike as part of his prism. Like mm-hmm. they learn a lesson as he learns a lesson. And there's an inc- just an incredible dynamic and a, and, a, and a moral or meaning or messages that, that, that kind of comes from their particular dynamic, their particular relationship that's being built over the course of uh, these what, only four episodes. We have six left, which is kind of amazing. Uh, but that was the interesting thing also about this episode is that you saw clusters of crewmen that you've never really seen work together before. Uh, I really did like want to talk a little bit more about, say, Hammer and Uhura, because you have somebody who has prided himself on not taking any charity uh, or assistance, but has to and has to drop that, that protective veil you know, from his identity in order to trust Uhura so that the ship doesn't get destroyed. How did you feel about that? Was that something that you felt that was, you know, rightfully earned um, and in in terms of his like evolution as a character, is it something that's going to be able to pay off forward? I think there's a, you know, there's a, I, I, I was going to comment about the lack of arrogance of people. And then you bring up Hammer and it's like, he's, he's sort of arrogant, but not really. He's just protective of his circumstance and, and what he's been through in life. And, and he gets things done his way. And for him to learn the acceptance from her uh, that she can actually help him, even, you know, that people are intelligent, that they're there to, to actually for a common goal, that you don't have to be the hero all the time. I think that's what this show is teaching. And um, the willingness to sacrifice, of course, is just, you know, all, to save that ship. Right. That's what you have to do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure about the science of, them, you know, getting vented out. Of course, you always had to have that scene. Right. Oh, we're sure. in our space suit. We're going to be safe. Why not? Um, let's hope the rope holds. <laughs> you know, we out you go. Mm-hmm. Um, or as it should have been, you know, it should have been Gorn going. We out he goes. Um, I, one last thing I'd like to touch on. I want to make sure, sure. sure that I pick this up right. Did we see Lon 
actually have a reverse mind meld effect, right? Is that what we saw? About Burnham, yes. And she's human, right? Yes, as far as we know. Okay, so uh, discuss amongst yourselves. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Picard and Sarek had that as well. You know, um, in, in the episode, Sarek, where they, it was kind of a, a two-lane interchangeable highway. Now, obviously, most of it is being directed by Spock, who is initiating the mind meld, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's only one way. You know, obviously, Spock's emotions about Michael have surfaced a couple of times, especially in the very first episode. So those are at the forefront of his thoughts. Um, it, to use a, a Babylon 5 example, telepaths, even at the mm -hmm. lowest level, like, say, P5, you know, oh, yeah. like a Talia Winters, as mm -hmm. far as we know, they can recognize surface thoughts. And it's almost kind of like a beta Z, you know, or a beta Zoid. You know, if, even if you're not full, you can still recognize very um, surface level emotions. So I think that that's where Spock is at this point in just dealing emotionally with what happened to Michael. Because it's so, I mean, technically in the timeline, it's so close to when Discovery disappeared. Um, so I, I think that he's struggling with that a little bit. But then again, it creates this interesting dynamic with Spock and La'an. Now there's something that he knows about her past and something about um, that she knows now about his past. So that creates a bond for better or worse. You know, it creates a relationship. And how do they, you know, how do they move forward with that relationship? So that's kind of like another one of the things that I really loved about this episode is you're seeing all of these different relationships aside from Pike happening. So when that all happens and then they all come together as one crew makes for a very interesting, very robust situation when it comes to storytelling, in my opinion. Um, anything awesome. else, Paul, before we let you go? Nope. You know, I just want to, Heather, look forward to meeting you in Vegas along with seeing you in person, Norman. Uh, of and uh, going to make Ray here for the fabulous Cherie. Thank you for what you do. And we'll look forward to seeing you again down the line. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for calling in. And uh, thank you to Michelle for saving you on trivia. Hey, she does it every day. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Bye, my friend. Bye-bye. All right. See you. All right. You may be our last caller, so we're going to give you a good long run here, Sheree. Good Hello. to see you. How are you? Good to see you, too. Yay. Doing all hey. right. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. So thoughts, feelings, have we discussed everything to a fair thee well with this episode? Do you have something new to wow so us with? I, I don't know if it's going to wow you. I'm just grumpy about it. <laughs> I just, I, I think, you know, and this is more of a kind of holdover from a discovery problem, not technically Strange New World's fault, because um, I know this was how they set it up in discovery. But they didn't really flat out explain all of like how they classified everything in discovery. And so like when they, when Lon said, Oh, you know, there aren't, you don't have a sister in your records. And he's like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. So like Michael Burnham was a super well-known mutineer. Like everybody knew her because she was a mutineer. And then like, she, she, she turned it around and stuff. But unless they went men in black, everyone's family who was on Discovery, it doesn't make any sense that they would classify the records of the people on there. They would just say, oh, you, you, they died in battle. No. <laughs> it Section 31? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. If, if one of you has an idea of like how it makes sense, I'd love, I'd, I'd love an explanation of how it could possibly make any sense, but it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> I'm no good at any of this stuff. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm that meme of uh, what's his name? Charlie Hunnam or not Charlie Hunnam, but uh, the guy from, you know, he has like all the different conspiracy theories on his billboard behind him. And he's all like, <laughs> like that's me. I can't make sense of any of this stuff. I mean, I know a couple things that are really good parlor tricks at parties that can hold a conversation for about 30 minutes. And then I'm out of juice. So like, I know arena, how can the Gorn be like this? If they were like this. And then the conversation happens for like 30 minutes and everyone's like, Got anything else? I'm like, nah, I'm out. See you. Bye. <laughs> out. Poof. Uh, I don't know. Heather, what do you think? I, yeah, I don't, I don't, it's, it's just, it's classified. It's, it's, I love that. it's all that we know is that it's classified um, <laughs> for sure. What did yeah. you think? So I, I'm curious. I really enjoyed the fact that we did not see the Gorn. So what did you, what, what do you guys think, Shree? Were you... Well, 
I I definitely thought that if they if they'd come in as those like dinosaur men that they are in TOS, then I definitely would not be afraid of them. <laughs> I hope if they ever do show them, they are not just those dinosaur men in TOS. I'm sure they won't be. Yeah. Uh, they have to go full out all like Jurassic Park Velociraptor on us. Like um, that's what I'm assuming they're probably going to do at some point. Um, but yeah, just like. I honestly, personally, though, I just kept imagining the Gorn from POS. So I was just like, I can't, I can't, I can't be scared. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't. I just, I just imagine like, I'm just like, you just need to rip off his shirt, fight it with your bare hands. <laughs> I get it. I totally get it, though, because like, I've never been afraid of Klingons until the J.J. Abrams Klingons. And I was like, holy, I do not want to be caught with them uh, in a dark alleyway at any point in time. And then, of course, the Discovery Klingons were kind of similar to that. So I get it. Norm, what do you think? Were you happy we didn't see them? Would you like to see them? Well, you know, that's a great question because I've seen two different versions of Gorn. You know, so in, in the original series, obviously, Rubber Suit got a lot. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. But that's, you know, I also love, you know, that for the nostalgia of the past. But then in uh, in A Mirror Darkly in Enterprise Season 4, we got to see a computer-generated version of the Gorn, which did mm-hmm. not was not executed well, which took a little bit of uh, the wind out of fandom when it came to that. <laughs> so I think making the creative choice of letting you fill in the blanks. The imagination is sometimes mm-hmm. more powerful than the actual physical version of something that you're trying to, that they're trying to manifest as something terrifying. I think that hearing kind of like the little girl describe the, the clacking yeah. sound of the Gorn and La'an, obviously with the, the character that we know, she's terrified to the point where she is like struck, like stock still like she mm-hmm. couldn't function like that's how terrifying the gorn are to her someone who if he's seen like uh, obviously can, can take herself in action so all of these little details make up for a far more effective version of a terrifying you know um murderous alien race than any i think cgi or styrofoam suit ever could you know it's kind of like in aliens like uh or an alien i should say you know ridley scott's original film it was you didn't really get to see the alien until the end Mm -hmm. it was everything about it that led up to that point where your mind is filling in all the different shadows and all the things that moved it's the boogeyman that you really can't define right so that in and of itself allows your mind to escape into the episode and say wow like what do the egg sacs look like how do they harvest these people you only saw blood trails of their carnage and not necessarily even bodies so there's more there i think descriptively that that adds to the tension than just you know like rubber suits slee slack you know land of the lost type stuff like nah, yeah, yeah. i don't know that's just me <laughs> but, yeah uh, i go ahead Heather. i'm sorry i don't think we're gonna get rubber suits uh, in Strange New Worlds. I'm curious. I, I do think that this, the Gorn story will continue. Um, we may see them again, whether it's this season or another season, who knows? I'm curious to see if we do see a version of them and what they would be, because I agree they need to be uh, quite scarier <laughs> than what we've had previously. Uh, but so far, so good. They did such a great job with this episode, just really making me like, oh, I don't like, I don't want to meet the Gorn. No. Oh. So uh, one thing that I wanted to ask um, all of you and then all, all of the chat out there, if you were going to wear your own Memento Mori, a pin, you know, to uh, represent uh, someone that you cared about in Starfleet or a character that uh, you cared about in Star Trek that was lost in the line of duty, what ship would you wear and who would you wear it for? Oh, Data. Data. Enterprise. Data. <laughs> Data's my sweet baby angel. Just like Curse that. <laughs> that was great. Great answer. I love that. <laughs> Obviously, that affected the, uh, the, the scene where he sacrificed himself and then goes kind of like reborn into B4. That was very, that, that affected you in some way. I, I can't even really watch all of that movie. <laughs> was Data your favorite from Next Generation from yeah, the very beginning? Yeah, yeah. Data's always been... I had a I had a crush on him when I was a little kid. Like um, Data or Brent Spiner or da- somewhere in between? Data. Just Data. Okay. Just Data. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't even really... I don't know that I grokked that he was an actor. Um, <laughs> right. Like, I just, uh, I just really 
always love data. Very cool. Uh, Heather, got any answers for us? Mm, this makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> Think of it as a badge of honor. Like you wear it and everyone says, wow, that was a, you know, that sacrifice allowed us to be where we are today. Oh gosh. I, uh, uh, oh, Jadzia. Ooh, can I, okay. I pick Jadzia? I mean, it was kind of an, it wasn't like, you know, on, on a ship specifically, but her death was still a really big deal um, for me. She's, she's my, one of my favorite characters. So it's, it's, you know, I don't know. Is that acceptable? Absolutely. Sure. And okay. we're, we're all imagining, okay, so if we like write up all these or draw up all these designs, or I don't know out there who can produce stuff. This is all on you. I don't know anything about copyright infringement in that case, but you can make whatever you want. But um, I think that when we all saw those pins being unveiled and everyone wearing them in the series or later in the show, I was like, someone's going to be making those, you know, in some way, shape or form. For me, I'd be wearing Trip Tucker Enterprise. That's a good one. Could we actually see what ship um, Spock and Pike were wearing it for because I would have thought Discovery, but isn't that classified? Question mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I so um, was it Spencer who went to the Paley ex exhibition, the Strange New Worlds exhibit, and had um, in our Discord he had pictures of like yes. all of these different pins, right. um, and there was a Shenzo in there, I think. Yep, there was. Um, oh. There was also an Angelou, which I really just adored. Mm -hmm. uh, I it think there for them to have the Shenzo. On I on Pike or um, Spock though, because neither of them are on it. Yeah, um, but I didn't I didn't like zoom in to see what either of them were wearing. Uh, but Norm, mm -hmm. you already said yours. Yes, I uh, it would be Trip Tucker uh, yeah. because <laughs> because I love Enterprise and I I can't wait to to talk about that series for Mission Log. Uh, but I also you know it was just one of those. I didn't agree with the way that, mm -hmm. you know, Tripp's character exited the show. Yeah. So I would use that as a way to kind of just remind people this wasn't the way he was supposed to go out. You know, the writers killed him. I also yeah. can't I to wait you. to hear about Enterprise because um, I really, I really love it too. And I really want to hear you guys talk about it. I know it's going to be a long time. <laughs> well, it'll be a long time getting from there to here, right? <laughs> yes. So. You know, yeah. I had to go there. You know, <laughs> oh, I had to go there. Um, anything else uh, on your mind, Sherry, for this episode? Um, so I, I was going to say that I, I thought Pike, like other people have mentioned, like him, like showing emotion about the people who died felt the most real of any other like Star Trek. Because even when they have the captains like be like, oh, this is a sad thing that has happened. It just feels fake and it's not necessarily the actor's fault because we just i feel like we're so desensitized to it in star trek and sometimes it's a little bit of fault the writing because the, like they'll be like oh so sad anyway um <laughs> but um but i think they did a good job both like writing and like um uh, uh anton mount acting just like I really believed it. I really believed that he was like really broken up about it. Whereas like pretty much every other, every other Star Trek I've ever watched, I'm like, I don't believe you care. <laughs> it's just another red shirt to you. We all know it's true. No, I, I love the way that Anson handled that scene. I think that, I think that day one that he was probably, you know, um, approached to be this captain, he was trying to find his, you know, his, uh, his through line, you know, from, the acting standpoint and the character's kind of his core, his gravitas, you know, what grounds his character. And I really do think that Pike is just that very human, very responsible, you know, very caring uh, person who he wants to do his job well. He knows that the people that surround him, if he makes them better, it makes him better and it makes the mission successful. It's a, it's a kind of leadership where it's very, it's a very modern take on leadership where it's kind of like, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. And, you know, if I can instill, you know, uh, confidence and cooperation and optimism and positivity in my team, that just kind of just trickles down like to the rest of all the different systems and all the different um, parts of the ship that will also hopefully believe in that message, you know, when the time comes and we'll be able to do their part and be able to inspire others who are in a crisis situation. That's, 
that's the way leadership is supposed to work. You know, and it's very good on paper when people say that, put that up on a PowerPoint presentation or go into management action planning and, you know, train like the next, you know, uh, generation of vice presidents and executives. But it really depends. Great leadership depends on how much you care about the people that you're working with. And I think that Anson is actually kind of projecting that. I think that he honestly and genuinely cares about the, the actors that he's working with. He wants to make their experience better so that the show the entirety of the show is better for everybody. And that's kind of, I've always believed the role of the captain, not just as the character, but as the central figure that has hired as the actor for the captain. Mm-hmm. And I think it shows, I think it does, you know, um, what do you think? I also, I also <laughs> think it helped add tension to the scene where uh, her and Hammer in the Bay and like, he's worried about them because we know her has plot armor. We know she can't die. <laughs> um, uh, but like, I feel like that scene was tense for me. Like when he was like worried about them just because he was worried. Like, because mm-hmm. I obviously like wouldn't have been worried on my own. I know her can't die, but they did such a good job showing his concern right. that that was more of the tension in the scene than like, because we all know that her is fine (laughs) but you know i'm glad that you brought that up though because i know people said um that you know we don't really invest ourselves in the characters that are going to survive but what about the characters that we want to see learn and grow from that experience and that's pike like pike like i did everything i could there's a great line that picard says i I don't know who said it to but i think he either said it to wesley or to Worf. most of the time he's giving those guys advice but if he said that you can do everything right and still lose Mm -hmm. And that could be this whole situation. He did everything right to save Hammer and Uhura, and he still lost. He still lost both of them. But we want to see it happen to him. We don't want to see it happen necessarily to Uhura because we know that she made it. But we want to see what it does to him, how it informs him, you know, how he internalizes that and moves forward with that information, with that knowledge, with that, that, emotional, um, uh, that emotional effect on him, right? Yeah. That's going to turn him into... Uh, it might make him uh, better informed for decisions in the future. We don't know, but if we don't see it from his perspective, we don't see it from the captain's perspective. Right. So I think that was interesting to see. And actually this is how I consume a lot of media because I don't mind being spoiled on things. So if something's already been out, I will sometimes just spoil myself on who dies. I don't like to know exactly what happens, but I get stressed out very easily. So I like to know who dies. So I'm not like, I don't get like a nasty shock later on. Um, so when Nemesis me, really did a number on you, huh? What? Nemesis really did a number on you, huh? I can't finish that movie. I know what it's about. I just read what it's about. All right. Enough said. No, so. no, we, no. we won't go there. All right. No, um, no. One but last yeah. thing uh, before we have to let you go here, Sherry. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last okay. thing before we have to let you go here. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I was just going to say that I also, I, I, I uh, just assumed Remembrance Day was meant to be Memorial Day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I thought right? I was. Um, I was. I was texting uh, Charlene about this, and I said I was this. I like it was like today or yesterday. I was like I was this old today that I just put together that Memento Mori, M- Memorial Day, and Remembrance Day are all the same thing. I'm like, uh, <laughs> hey, you know. The rest well, of the episode bedazzled sure. me. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to pick up on I'm these things. Pretty sure they did it on purpose, but. To be fair, also there's been other like Star Trek episodes where it's like I thought it was it must I'm like this must be like a Christmas episode and then I look it up and I'm like it came out in February. Okay, never mind. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure, hopefully um like say maybe the Halloween episode. No, we won't get the Halloween. Maybe Independence Day episode will be <laughs> less subtle. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, thanks, Jerry. It's always great to have you call in. Great to see you. And thanks. um. Next time I watch uh, Nemesis in full, I will think of you and then promptly forget I watched it. Okay. <laughs> Just for you. Best way, best way to do that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for calling in. Bye. Appreciate it. Bye. Oh, boy. Full episode, huh, Heather? It, you know, I'm I just I'm going to go watch it again. <laughs> right? I need to also, now that I just have all of this, you know, information and all the feedback from everyone in chat. Thank you, chat, for all of the great uh, comments that you've been um, throwing down there. And it's and sorry that we rarely get a chance to actually even to go into chat and address some of these. But thanks for being there. Thanks for bouncing all these great ideas off of us. Uh, Heather, we have just a little bit of time left for maybe one last parting gift to the audience. Any last thoughts for the episode? 
Oh gosh. I already closed my notes out. I'm trying to think. Um, no, again, I, I, I think they're telling this Pike story well, even though it's it's coming in little increments here and there. Um, it was just really nice to see a captain on the bridge. I, I said in chat because I haven't been very articulate this evening, but it, it's nice to see someone with real emotions, you know, experience the experiencing those emotions on the bridge or in front of other people instead of just stoically, you know, being straight faced and holding it in like like Picard, for example. Mm-hmm. Um it's we're all human <laughs> and i think that it's just really really great to see that like you said it's definitely a more modern take but it's very needed i think the the more uh men out there that see that we can express emotions in a healthy way is great and i think that pike is really turning out to be that leader that you described earlier well, thank you for that, Heather. And uh, once again, uh, always, always a pleasure to have you with us here on the live show. Uh, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Technical production Mission Log and Mission Log Live done by the multi-talented, multifaceted Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from Roddenberry Podcasts. If you would like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. If you'd like to join us and continue this conversation that we've been discussing about Memento Mori, you can do so on our Discord channel where we do a live show about these episodes every Wednesday night. Thanks again to Heather Barker for being with us here. And thanks to everyone who is going to join us later. We look forward to reviewing the next episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds with all of you here on Mission Log Live next week. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.